Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah is the only Hebrew prophet in the Old Testament sent by God to a Gentile nation. He reminds us that God has a missionary's heart and a plan for the Gentiles too, a lesson the Apostle Peter had difficulty learning. Jonah is the Old Testament book that reminds us God so loved the world, including the Gentiles. Jonah is the runaway prophet. He heard God's call to Nineveh, ran in the opposite direction, and ran right into the perfect storm. When you hear God's call, which way will you run? I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. It's the greatest fish story ever told, and it comes your way next on this Wednesday edition of Something Good. Hello, and welcome to another great day of teaching with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for tuning in. Well, today, we come to the story of Jonah, a runaway prophet who spent three days living in the belly of a great fish. This three-day period is a foreshadowing of Christ himself. And it offers some practical lessons for us today. As always, visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Jonah, the biggest fish story ever told. Well, fishermen are among the world's greatest Storytellers. Did you know that? Got any fishermen here? Oh, come on, come on. You're in church. There you go. There's some hands out there. You, you, you are great storytellers. We can't always believe your stories, but you're great storytellers. You know about the one, the big one that got away? Yeah, wink, wink, right? We love uh, the big storytellers that fishermen say. And, and the reason many fishermen uh, today, often stand next to their catch. You know, have you seen that on social media? You got this fisherman there. He, the, the largest tuna, they, you know, world record size, and he's standing next to this tuna. Somebody at the early hour said, yeah, Photoshop. Okay, well, you know, we, we can't always believe the stories, right? But the reason they're standing next to it and they have the photo is because the photo is evidence that their fish story is true, okay, supposedly but they're great storytellers. Keep telling us the stories. Well, not really, but we'll give you the impression that we believe them anyway, right? You know, especially when you grill it up on the grill and, and feed it to us. Well, the Bible contains what I call the biggest fish story ever told, and it's a story of a runaway prophet named Jonah who got swallowed by a great fish, maybe a whale. The Bible doesn't say a whale, but a great fish. Jonah got swallowed by a great fish and live to tell about it. Isn't that a great story? You say, oh, that's for children's church, Pastor. No, no, not really. The kids are learning it today, but um, th this was not meant just for, for, for children's church. Question is, is this, is it true? Is, is the book of Jonah and the story we have there, this fish tale, 
Is it true? We don't have any photos of Jonah standing next to the whale that swallowed him. We don't have any, uh, anybody who has, you know, an iPhone on that, that time when, and have some video when the, when the whale burped him up onto the dry land. We don't have any of that. We just have the Bible, the Word of God. Is it true? Can we believe Jonah's fish story? And if it is true, why does it even matter? Why is this book in the Bible, uh, let alone the Old Testament? Uh, Well, as stories go, and for what it's worth, a veteran lobster diver named Michael Packard tells a fish story very similar to Jonah's. Um, Lobster divers, commercial lobster divers like Packard, plunge deep into the the ocean off Cape Cod where Packard lives, and and they dive down to uh, the sandy bottom of the ocean there, and they snatch uh, the lobsters. I didn't know that's the way they caught them. Well, a little before 8 o'clock in the morning on, are you ready for this? June 11th, 2021. This just happened. Hot off the presses. Packard recalls swimming with schools of sand lances and stripers, uh, part of the ocean's uh, food chain, he says. They were about 10 feet from the ocean floor off the coast of Massachusetts, an area where humpback whales, you know, swim. Catherine and I were in Cape Cod recently, and we learned about the wild whaling history of Cape Cod and Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. I mean, there were whalers back in the 1800s and all that. There were harpooning whales. Big history. You can go to a museum there and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is where Packard was. He lives in the Cape Cod area. He's a lobster diver. Finds himself, he says, in the ocean's food chain. When he was released from Cape Cod Hospital in Hyannis, they interviewed him and he said, quote, all of a sudden I felt this huge shove and the next thing I knew, it was completely black. I could sense I was moving, but I could, I could feel the whale squeezing with the muscles of its mouth. Less than a minute later, he said, I, you know, the lights came on, I, I could see again as the whale expelled him from its mouth. Apparently, he didn't go all the way down the gullet and into the belly. But there he was in the food chain, and this humpback whale comes and gobbles him up. True story. You can read about it in the Cape Cod Times, all right? Just happened a few months ago. Well, fish stories like Packard's, and and there are others that we could relate, um, they should convince us at least of the plausibility of Jonah's story, his fish story. And it should um, lead us to believe that um, despite uh, the skepticism that this fish story is, is fact, and not fiction. Uh, Despite all the skepticism and besides even the anecdotal evidence that we can bring to the table, uh, there are some good reasons to believe this story is true. And let me just lay these down uh, to begin with. For example, Jonah was a real person in history. He was not a make-believe character like Mad Hatter or Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. Uh, This story doesn't begin, once upon a time there was a man named Jonah, as you would expect a fable or a fairy tale to begin. No. Uh, Jonah is placed in in historical context in the very first verse. In fact, even outside of that, in 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25, it also mentions Jonah historically as, quote, the prophet who was from Gath-Hepper. Gath-Hepper is nowhere near Wonderland. (laughs) It actually was located three miles north of Nazareth in the Galilee region. A real place in history, a real person in real time uh, was Jonah. 
Jonah lived during the time of King Jeroboam II, who reigned after Elisha's ministry and before the ministry of Amos and Hosea. So he fits well within the historical context of the Old Testament. Also, there are two respected scholars from the first century, a guy named Philo, who is a a well-respected philosopher, and Josephus, the historian. Uh, Both of these men in their first century writings speak about Jonah as a real person who lived in a real place and time. Uh, For what it's worth, the catacombs of Rome feature Jonah's story as real and historical. Another evidence we could bring to the table is the literary form of the book. You know, when you study the Bible, it's important to identify the literary form of the text and to let the rules of that literary form govern your interpretation. So, for instance, um, Jonah is historic narrative. It's not fable. It's not Allegory. There are certain clues that would lead us to believe this was written as a fairy tale, like once upon a time there was a man named Jonah. You know it's a fairy tale. You, you know it's not true. He's a, he's a makeup person in a makeup place, but that's not how the story begins. Jesus also affirmed the historicity of Jonah. Did you know that? And this is probably the strongest evidence. Jesus established his credibility and actually linked his uh, future resurrection to this fish story. One day the Pharisees came to him and demanded a sign. They said, Rabbi, come on now. Give us a sign that proves who you are. Jesus responds in Matthew 12 and verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. (laughs) That was his way of thumping the Pharisees in the chest. He goes on to say, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Are you kidding me? He goes to the book of Jonah to say, I'm going to rise from the dead? And he bases the reality of that on on the historicity of Jonah? Jesus must have known something that The skeptics don't know. He goes on to say, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Uh, Sure was. Now, besides all the anecdotal evidence and even the other evidence that I just brought to the table here, uh, Jonah's story is believable for this reason. Christianity as a worldview is supernatural. It presupposes divine intervention and miracles. And we should have learned this um, back in road trip one when we went through the books of the law starting in Genesis. The first 10 words of the Bible say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, some people stumble right there. But I always say, if you can get past the first 10 words of the Bible, the rest of it's easy. Because the Bible presupposes the existence of God. Later in the book of Psalm, it says, uh, uh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you can get into a debate with the atheist in Genesis chapter 1 in the first 10 verses and all that. But the Bible presupposes divine intervention, miracles, whether we can explain Jonah's fish story in a natural way or not. It really doesn't matter. Jesus thought this guy was real and his story was real and later came to prove the historicity of it when he rose from the dead. 
However, Jonah's story still leaves us wondering why this book is in the Old Testament and how it relates to our New Testament Christian faith. We we need to answer some of those questions there. Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good radio message, Jonah, the biggest fish story ever told. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. While you're there, visit the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic to find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. God asked Jonah to do what seemed impossible go to the city of Nineveh and confront the people about their sin. But instead of moving forward, Jonah ran away. Here's Dr. Ron Jones with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Jonah, the biggest fish story ever told. Beginning in chapter one and verse one, where it says, uh, once upon a time, no, it doesn't start that way. It begins this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah is the only Hebrew prophet in the Old Testament that God sent to a Gentile nation. That's significant. Uh, There are 17 prophets that we study in the Old Testament that are linked to these books. Old Testament books, five of them we consider major prophets because of the size of their writings uh, primarily. And then uh, 12 of them we call minor prophets. Jonah is among the minor prophets. 16 of those prophets God sent to the chosen people of Israel, some to the northern kingdom when they had divided and others to the southern kingdom. Jonah is the only one sent to, well, in this case, the Ninevites. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, an empire that was known for its strength and brutality, although uh, it would be uh, decades, maybe centuries, before the Assyrians would rise to the zenith of their power and eventually overtake the northern kingdom. But, But the Assyrians were a feared group of people, pagan, idol worshipers outside of the covenant community of God. Uh, For for the Lord to say to Jonah, Jonah, I I want you to go to Nineveh and preach my message. It would be like the Lord showing up here this morning and said, all right, everybody, pack your bags. Uh, You're going to Afghanistan to preach the gospel to the Taliban. Anybody ready to sign up for that? I didn't think so. No wonder this guy ran. I want to extend a little bit of grace to Jonah because we we might have done uh, the same thing. The Lord says, for their evil, that is the Assyrians, has come up before me. It's a a phrase in the Hebrew that uh, literally refers to the wickedness of the Assyrians and how it had reached the Lord's nostrils and smelled to the high heavens. And so in verse 3, we know the story, right? But let's hear it as though for the first time. It says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. 
Now, geographically, the city of Tarshish uh, was west. Yeah, west. East to me, west to you. And uh, Nineveh was slightly northeast this way. About 400 miles separated the two cities. Jonah goes in nearly the exact opposite direction. He ran from the call of God and assumed he could run from God's presence. Oh, what a lesson he would learn. He runs into a big storm, big storm, and he paid a huge, huge price for his disobedience. In fact, uh, it's kind of fun to read chapter 1 and pay attention to the word down. Four times it appears. In the verses I read just a moment ago, it appears uh, twice there where he says he went down to Joppa. Uh, So he paid the fare. Yeah, he paid a price all right. And he went down into it, the boat. Two other times he says it went down. Jonah, as he ran from God, from God's call and thought he could run from God's presence, he went down, 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 down. Make no mistake about it. Paid the fare. Paid a huge price. Uh, Those words describe Jonah's physical and spiritual decline at this time. Now, God planned a perfect storm for the purpose of intercepting his runaway prophet who was now sleeping in the hull of the ship. Can you believe that? Uh, There's this storm that must have been the storm of the century. Why? Because it frightened the seasoned sailors. These guys weren't novices. They'd been sailing the seas all their life. They'd seen other storms, but this storm, you know, scared the minnows out of them. And they began wondering, you know, what, what was going on here? But here's Jonah, sleeping peacefully, sleeping like a baby in the hull of a ship. Now think about that. He's completely out of the will of God, but at peace. Is that even possible? It is, and it's a very dangerous spiritual place to be. You might think everything is fine between you and God. You know, Jesus is just all right with me. Didn't the doobies sing that? You know, you're as peaceful as can be, just, you know, floating through life. Not knowing you're in a very, very dangerous spiritual place. God appointed this great fish to swallow Jonah. And you know the story. These sailors, they, they learn what's going on. Jonah says, ah, just, you know, you have to toss me over. And it was sort of a, a superstitious act of the sailors at first. They, they tossed Jonah overboard with the hopes of uh, satisfying his God and quieting the storm. And Jonah chapter 1 ends by saying that, that Jonah was in the belly of a fish. In the belly of a fish. What do you do when you're there? Chapter 2, you pray. Oh, my, you pray like you've never prayed before. And that's exactly what happens. Nearly one-fourth of the book is a prayer that Jonah voiced, the Bible says, from inside the fish. He cried out from the depths of his despair, and he he did so by rejoicing that God had heard his prayer. Let's pick it up in chapter 2. In verse 2, Jonah says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. Let me read that again. You hurled me into the depths, (laughs) into the very heart of the seas. 
and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You got to give you know, Jonah some credit for praying, but like too many of us, he, he prayed when he found himself in trouble, in a mess. Always better to pray when things are good and uh, even when things are bad. But when he prayed in his distress, he had confidence that God would hear him. That's the good news here, right? Even when you're, you're far, far away from God, he hears the cry of a distressed heart. Jonah knew God's word well enough to, to fill his prayers with words from Scripture. You study chapter 2 carefully, you'll find that he recites phrases from Psalm 18, Psalm 31, Psalm 42. And I'm assuming he's doing this from memory because, I mean, he's in the, he's in the deep, dark belly of the fish, right? I mean, he, 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 it's not like he had a candle or an iPhone to turn on his, you know, his, his light, and let alone a copy of the scriptures. No, you have every indication. He, he had hidden God's word in his heart. Scripture memory is one of the most powerful and fruitful spiritual disciplines we can engage in. Hide God's word in your heart so you can retrieve it at the right time. So the Holy Spirit has something to use at just the right time. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God to fight in times of temptation or, 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 or whatever it might be to, to comfort your heart in times of distress. The practice then of praying God's own word back to him as Jonah did. He prays the word of God back to him. When, when you learn how to pray God's word back to him and his word is so much a part of your vocabulary and what's in your heart, you, you, are, you are centering your supplications and your prayers on the will of God you hear me there? Uh, you'll know the will of God in relation to the word of God. And when you pray the word of God, you're always praying in the will of God. And Jonah learned that. Now, amazingly, Jonah's prayer shines like a bright light in a dark place. He is literally in that deep, dark, swampy belly of the fish. And, and his, his prayer is a study in and of itself. Uh, let me just run through it real quickly. In, in verses 3 through 6, he accepts the Lord's discipline. You put me here. He, he accepts that. Uh, he anticipates the Almighty lifting him out of the pit in verse 6. He remembers the Lord's holy temple in verse 7. He denounces idols in verse 8. He, uh, he gives thanks in verse 9. And what, what do you do when you're in the belly of the fish? You praise your way through it. When Jonah was at his darkest place, inside the belly of that fish after having disobeyed God, he began praying the Word of God back to God. When we pray the Word of God, we are always praying in accordance with the will of God. Thanks for being here for today's Something Good radio message, Jonah, the biggest fish story ever told. Today's message is part of Ron's series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Listen on demand using the library tab at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. As you may know, Something Good Radio exists only through the faithful prayer and financial support from friends like you. When you donate this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you his new ebook that goes along with his series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The fifth of eight ebooks in the series is based on the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Hosea through Malachi. Request your ebook today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. 
Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices 757-276-1099. Well, the Ninevites were a fierce and unbelieving people who had rejected God. But when Jonah confronted their sin, they repented immediately. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. The irony in the story is the least likely people to become followers of Yahweh immediately respond. You know, when the Lord convicts you of something in your life or my life, some area of disobedience, are you that quick to respond? When you hear the truth of God's word, are you that quick to put it into practice? Or do you kind of sit on it for a while? That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Jonah, the biggest fish story ever told. Join us then for Something Good, for Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.